Welcome to V'ger, please. My name is Joseph. And I'm your co-host, Peter. And Peter, to start us off, I actually have some feedback from a listener that uh, it really resonated with me. And it, it resulted in you and I having some conversations off the air this week. And we've made some decisions as a consequence of it. I'm going to read it verbatim. I don't know if hopefully this guy, gal, is still listening. If not, totally understand. If so, trust me, we heard you. The review goes like this. I love the show when it was about Voyager. But now that they're reviewing Picard, and I hate it. It's just a bunch of yelling, whining, negativity. I don't need that. It's jarring and brings down my day. You know what? You know what, buddy? You're fucking right. <laughs> like, we've we took a critical eye at how we've been receiving Picard. You hate it. I hate it. It's reflected in what we have to say. And it's not just that like that normal, like occasional Voyager episode is bad and we fucking just bag on it for being bad sort of hate. It's a meta why are they destroying what I love hate? And it's not a fun hate, right? It's different. And it's been a trial to get ourselves to watch the shit and talk about it. And it's been an even more awful on my part to have to relive all of those emotions as I edit it. And we had the conversation and we have elected as a team. We're doing this for fun. (laughs) We are doing this to entertain ourselves as much as our audience. And this isn't fun. So this is going to be our last full episode dedicated to Picard reviews. We are officially off the train. We've talked about it before, and uh, I think it's a responsible thing to do. And there are certainly people out there who are really enjoying what uh, what Picard is and how it's going down, and more power to you. Uh, we've said many times uh, the strength of Star Trek is being able to enjoy the material across a broad spectrum, and there's a lot of different people watching Star Trek for a lot of different reasons. And if this is your cup of T Earl Grey hot. Awesome. Um, I hope the things pan out good for you. Uh, and the responsible thing for us to do is go back to the Delta Quadrant. And yes, take a look there. And I, you know, I'll tell you what, man, I've been listening to some of our back episodes just bouncing around. And uh, I'm very excited to return to Voyager. And I, I don't remember what point it was exactly, but there was kind of a tipping point season two or three where I acknowledge the fact I love Voyager. It's it's not always perfect, but it is an excellent time capsule for that Berman era. Uh, I'm very happy that I never watched initially because it's certainly a treat to go back and dig into it. And I am I'm ready to get back into uh, into Voyager's cleanly lit halls and and two dimensional storytelling. (laughs) <laughs> You're waiting to get into the 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 set that looks like a Holiday Inn Express conference room, and you know those flat angle camera shots and bad you know late '90s CG, and I am too because behind all of that is I think the kind of storytelling that when the show's great we really love. Mm-hmm. Whatever this is, it's now that, and I obviously have harsher opinions about it than you do, and that's come yeah. out. Yeah. I'm kind of done with that. I had like three episodes in a row where I I vented my spleen and the people know where I stand. And with that said, Peter, what was the name of the episode that we watched this week? Season one, episode six, Impossible Box. 
Well, what was impossible for this episode was, in my opinion, to find its footing in characterizing Jean-Luc Picard's feeling about the Borg. And it really held back everything. Like, this is the closest to competent that they have gotten since the premiere. I will say that. Um, It still was a total miss because I feel like they wanted to have Picard in a very specific place when it came to the Borg that didn't make sense to me. You know, this episode was mostly about, I guess, characters confronting their trauma and everybody's like dealing with different personal trauma. Uh, Picard dealing, having to go back to a Borg cube, Rafi dealing with being rejected by a family, uh, Agnes Gerardi dealing with murdering the shit out of (laughs) Maddox Uh, and everyone deals with trauma differently. But uh, the, this, the, this just show can't seem to figure out how to characterize Picard consistently at all. And that really damaged the proceedings for me. I think this is one of the better episodes that we have seen. And I'm kind of glad that we're able to leave our, our, our weekly Picard reviews on a higher note. Um, yeah, it's worth pointing out that uh, Peter and I have decided we will do a special non- you know, a, a special episode finishing talking about Picard once the show is over, um, just so that we're, we're completionists by heart. So we'll we'll put that out there, but it will not it will not be like as part of the normal programming. Yeah. I will certainly continue to watch Picard to the bitter end just because, you know, there's there's money in the CBS all access kitty already. Uh, but <laughs> you already kicked in. Yeah. I, again, we're not going to plague people with our nerd ranting um, this episode should have been episode three or four of the series. Certainly not fucking episode six. This is the first time I feel like the story is making meaningful gains. And I really think that episodes two through five uh, should have been able to condense down to two or three episodes instead of this incredibly slow pace we're going. And again, it's like, classic trek tng voyager whatever you had these bottle episodes and i i'm well aware of the hypocrisy and the irony in us criticizing a slow story spanning multiple episodes when we have ranted at hours and hours of criticism about the bottle nature of voyager but except for a fact or or, or acknowledge that Voyager tells a complete story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And usually for Voyager, we have an A story, a B story, sometimes even a C story. And they're banging that out in 45 minutes. And most of the time, they're able to pull it off and feel complete. Where Picard, I feel like they're just wasting time in these scenes that don't add anything to the story. We're not really getting good character development. It's like, what's the fucking point? So I think you could have taken a big chunk of Picard boiled it down to the important part, still covered all the major things that need to be touched on in two or three episodes, and then brought us to the point where, okay, now the story's plugging and chugging, Picard's on the cube, we've got some action, we've got character development, um, and we're getting finally some some really good scenes that were what we signed up for. I think, you know, I don't want to rush in too deep here, but I thought that all the Picard and Hugh stuff specifically was really great. I feel like that was the closest it got to being Star Trek for a hot second. 
for the entire run of the show besides the premiere. Uh, I think you're right, though. The The key between taking your time and establishing continuity, which is stuff that we like, and just, you know, being boring nothing is a sense of pacing and urgency, which the show has just simply not developed. Um, that is by – that actually is not the thing that I, I have disliked the most about the show and is not the reason why I dislike this episode. It is that I feel – the, the biggest weakness is Patrick Stewart. Yes. Uh, he, his performance has been since the premiere uniformly weak. Um, I, I don't, uh, we've, po- we've postulated at length. Is this his fault personally? Is this a lack of creative direction on the part of others? Is it the don't be your own storyteller disease where, because now he has creative control, he's portraying this character to signal specific virtue and so it's a bit of a combination of both. I don't know. Uh, but what bothered me here was Picard's relationship with his experiences at the long weekend on the cube as Locutus. It's obviously very defining for his character. And he's been through a lot, you know, from dealing with the trauma on a very personal level. The episode right after uh, um, Best of Both Worlds, he goes back home, meets with his brother uh, to... First contact uh, to the episodes that involved Hugh to the episodes that involved well, I guess involved Hugh and Lore, uh, kind of like the the uh, sequel to their uh, decision with what to do with Hugh. Um, it seems so strange to me they decided to write Picard in as being just oh Borg are always monsters they can't possibly ever be reclaimed or redeemed. I'm like, didn't you just spend fifty five minutes with Seven of Nine? who clearly is like was a rehabbed Borg drone. Like, don't you know from personal experience that yes, it is quite possible to rehab a drone. Like, didn't you do that? Isn't that guy on this show? And why are you like, Oh no, they can never change. What? Like you are the only person in the galaxy that probably can say with certainty. Yes, they can change. I have done the changing. I have been changed personally. I have more compassion for people who have been freed from board control than anyone else could possibly have. And and so they start, it seems like they started him out in this dispassionate. I hate the Borg and I don't care spot. So they can have him like, Oh, you're all really just victims moment later on in the episode where I'm like, the fuck? You already you always knew that. <laughs> it's hard for me to come up with a similar situation to what we're seeing right now because this TNG storyline is so so rich and so diverse in that you had 7 years of straight serialized television and then the story expanded into several movies and now we've circled around with a different um a different television show. And it kind of reminds me of like Batman, right? When you're sitting there playing like the Arkham city, Arkham Asylum, uh, Arkham Knight, like Arkham Knight specifically really ties a lot of the Batman mythos in, but you don't know what parts are really available on the table to play with. Like, is this because of copyright or, or, or whatever the red tape is like, in this story, are we acknowledging the fact that Jason Todd was murdered by the Joker? Uh, are we going to talk about Asriel? Like, what part of this really huge storyline uh, is in play? And it's the same deal with Picard. Like, obviously, the events of First Contact are being touched on, but 
why is I feel in a certain way like he's reverted back to an earlier state. And uh, pretty early in this episode, you know, Picard has this outburst moment. It's what you're talking about. And I think he's talking with like Dr. Gerardi and uh, Legolas is there, too, where he like just correct has this this uh, this outburst. Yeah, where he condemns the Borg and says, you know, I've never wanted to go back. And and he's in a very scarred and scared place, I think. And that's why he has this very strong negative opinion and he's very apprehensive about going to the cube. And again, like you said, it's it feels like it's trauma that has already been addressed both in TNG with the slow and healing in the movies yeah. and, and specifically in first contact because that was her name, Lily. Yes. You know, he has that whole like really this far, no father. Yes. You that know, whole speech. It's amazing. One of the one of the tent pole Picard moments, right? And you know, it just feels like he's worked his way through all this stuff. So we're sitting there, we're watching. Uh, my wife's with me, and he's kind of doing this recap. And I'm writing in my notes like where he's basically talking about like how he was lacutus and this and that. And in my notes, I'm like, what an awkward recap. Why is he going through this whole exposition process to Gerardi? And uh, Legolas, like, who the fuck is watching this TV show? Who is paying for CBS All Access to watch Star Trek Picard that doesn't know goddamn well the history of Locutus inside and out? And my wife's like, what's he talking about? I feel like this is something I should know. And it's like, I just stopped mid-note. And it's like, well, clearly they do need to cover this stuff. And clearly, you know, they are penetrating through one way or another, and this is a necessary recap. So maybe that's why he's had this regression and we're not picking up with Picard at a point where he's already made these strides and personal growth points because they have to rebottle it so they could let it back out later when he has this uh, thing with you. Let's let's start at the beginning. Go ahead. Yeah, I want to just one note because it's interesting you brought that up of like, who are you doing this for? Why are you recapping this? Who would watch this who didn't know? And I think that's what made a lot of the Marvel movies, later Marvel movies, particularly spectacular to me, is that they didn't do that, right? Spider-Man shows up. There isn't a Marvel Spider-Man origin movie. He just has powers. Iron Man knew about it. He showed up and recruited the fucking kid. Paused. Yeah. Paused. How dare you bring Spider-Man to this (laughs) fuck? Spider-Man and, Spider-Man and and Batman, if there are two properties out in the world, two fucking stories that I never need to hear. I'm a huge Batman fan. If there's a fucking story I never need to know again about, it's it's how did Bruce Wayne's parents die? The Spider-Man, Peter Parker getting bit by the spider and Uncle Ben dying, Thomas and Martha Wayne dying in a fucking alley like these stories are known by more people than, you know, Jesus Christ getting nailed to the cross. Like <laughs> you might be legitimately correct about that. I understand that Picard might, you know, Picard's transformation as Lacutus in the battle of Wolf three, five, nine might be a little harder to come by than how did a fucking 17 year old boy end up in underoos web slinging around? Like Marvel is in a very unique situation, specifically with Spider-Man that you, what there's been like seven fucking Spider-Man reboots. Not counting the yeah. TV shows and stuff like <laughs> done. You come out of your mother's vagina into this world. <laughs> and, 
And through the power of osmosis from all the fucking nurses and janitors and and the guy refilling the candy bars out in the hallway, like there are so many people that know all 15 ways that Spider-Man was created that it enters your brain. All that being said, uh, you just come out and their first words are great power means great responsibility. (laughs) Just you just already know. Yeah. Like the doctor picks you up to spank your ass. He's like, uh. Uncle Bed died because Peter was fucking around. <laughs> Baby comes out and goes, uh, FYI, bone saw is ready. Um, so, yeah, you know, MCU having the balls not to recover that ground. Great. And, and let me go ahead and tell this story, too, while we're here. Oh, that was what I wanted to talk about. At some point, I need to tell you the story about why I thought that uh, that fucking Gozer the Gozerian's nightclub scene on Cloud City was the worst club ever. But (laughs) the story I wish to tell right now. uh, So my wife is like, well, you know, what's going on with this Picard Lacutus thing? And then who is this Hugh guy? Because it seems like that's a pretty big deal to the story. Uh, so I, you know, I pause what we're watching and I start, you know, okay, well, uh, Enterprise was out, you know, uh, and they found a down Borg scout vessel and there were a couple of drones and I, you know, I start just boom, just going right into this. And to be fair, this is all stuff that is in my near available memory because we've been doing a podcast specifically about Picard where Hugh's a featured character or whatever, but it's not like I just really sit there and look at my notes. Like this is all. This is shit I know, right? And mm-hmm. I'm I'm telling her about it, and she just it's rare for her to like, I don't want to say it's like nerd shamey, but like there's this moment of like I was there, she's like, God, how do you just know all this at the drop of a hat? And I'm just like, again, it just hits me with wall. Like, I'm like, like you fucking don't like this is I I I this for, these memories are so old and so potent in my memory. Like this stuff is essentially as real history to me as like fucking christmas two years ago with my family like it's just <laughs> star trek was such a big thing that and, and again i i owe a this, lot of this my is the, this is the power of myths in any society this is the power of myths and you know the, the people doubt the the power of something like star trek to people and some people that don't connect with it in the same way might belittle it but it's like this is why these mythical stories gain ground and in other societies and in other times, religion and worship grew up around it. You know, we live in more enlightened times. Uh, only in Futurama is Star Trek a religion. Uh, but uh, the the power of that is very real. And that's what you're describing. This was a myth for you. Yeah. It's a myth for me, too. It's why we love and appreciate it as much as we do. It's why you and I, despite being in our mid-30s and possibly having many better things to do, have elected to spend as much time as we've had nearly a hundred fucking episodes of talking about it. It could be very like, yeah, that moment of self-awareness of like, oh boy, <laughs> hope I remember the birth of my first child as much as I remember <laughs> Federation politics. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> but still, that's why. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, she's just kind of looking at me like mouth agape. Like, how do you just know all this at the drop of a hat? Like, how, how are you just pulling? It's like, 
because I because this this hit me in my formative years and I played because Casey Casey you just you married the the, the studliest federation in the story in this yeah. side of the Alpha Quadrant. I baby. played the customizable. I, I played the CCG. You know those are like flashcards. Like the shit's just drilled yeah. in my memory. It's there and it's it's why my nerd cackles get raised so easily when I see the stuff treaded. So, anyways, uh, this episode starts. Um, and I think we pick up on uh, Soji and Victor Lannister. I saw someone on some Facebook group somewhere, not the trauma support, one of the ones say that this guy looks like a Romulan hamster. 100% Victor Lannister Romulan Stein does look like a fucking hamster. That that scruffy beard he's rocking. Yes, the, the dude is a Romulan hamster. Uh, they wake up. I notice she's wearing this necklace to bed, uh, which doesn't seem very safe, <laughs> but whatever. It's a future. I'm sure it's like special materials. And she's having these, these dreams or nightmares. I don't want you to call it where she's a young Soji walking down a hallway towards her father's lab. It looks like a botany bay and she sees her dad moving somewhere out of focus. And as she tries to round this corner, he yells at her. She wakes up and it's a repetitive nightmare that she's been having so uh romulan hamster who is i don't know what his end game is other than to you know obviously fall in love and i'm sure at some point have a change in heart uh starts trying to needle the situation and get more out of her they cut to the conversation we already talked about on the uh the normandy sr2 where Picard is talking to Gerardi and Legolas about, you know, his background. Uh, Gerardi's spinning the tale of why Maddox died uh, while they cutting to Gerardi having murdered the fuck out of Maddox. Um, nothing about that is explained in this episode. Can, um, that's probably my most angry part out of this entire episode. Like the EMH saw what she was doing. Correct. The EMH can pop out whenever the fuck he wants much to the ire of the captain of the ship. Correct. Had she gone over and like turned him off or, and again, she's like super cyberneticist. Like it would totally make sense for her to have some fat ass hacking powers. Delete his memory or something. Sure. Yeah. Sure. None of that at all. Like what a huge fucking plot hole for her to sit there then and bold face light up a card and like, sure is uh, Legolas. That was a very hard pill to swallow. Big miss. Like, how do you not resolve the next episode that there was a witness to Gerardi murdering Maddox with even a line of dialogue or a moment on her part? But they don't. Maybe that's like how they're going to have her get made later. It's like finally some of the last EMH should be like, whoa, wait, hell no. It's like Maddox died because Gerardi killed her. And then it sounds as stupid as it seems, I think. And not to beat a dead horse on this, but like this EMH or the ship, whatever whatever the the mystery of the ship is why there are so many holograms and they all look like this dude like it is even to a point where it's like clairvoyant right it is always monitoring the 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 status and the um the emotional states like you have like emergency trauma support holograms popping in like for that to be have have been such a catastrophic bungle while she was murdering this guy is is really something else and and an unforgivable plot hole. Like I said, also during this, I want to call out the music that they're playing. 
we haven't really talked about the scoring in Picard, but especially in these couple scenes, I really feel like they missed the mark with some unearned epic music. The music of this entire show has been a giant miss. You know, like, I don't know how else to describe it. It it's generic and corny you know, like, yeah, just not correct. Uh, I expect more from a current year production when it comes to scoring like this. And it just never works. Title is like awful. I would yeah. like only I only enterprise <laughs> worse. Like I, I will say that it is not bad as uh, Fade for the Heart, but it is still shame on bad. you for knowing that title. <sighs> you will, too. Uh, <laughs> I promise you that uh, once you hear it, you'll never. You'll never be the same again. Um, again, praise to Netflix for having a skip intro. Skip intro. Yeah. It Very slops, important. Slops to, to CBS All Access for not. But the, the the conversation happens. We get the recap of, you know, Picard, you know, hates the Borg and was a Borg. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, Legolas doesn't have good social skills. He doesn't know what butting in means. He calls it in butting because, you know, he's Legolas. Yeah. The uh, the next awkward thing that happens in this episode is Agnes decides to go hook up with Rios. Like in the next scene, Rios is, by the way, stereotypically Latino. exercising with a soccer ball because he's and better a sh- Spanish. And he's the most off. Spanish man with a shut off with a cigar. Does he have a cigar? I don't know. He is he is the, he is the Dos Equis man of space, right? He is the most interesting man. And so he must be always doing a Spanish thing. And uh, if it's not putting tequila on his wounds or cursing in Spanish, uh, he's playing with a soccer ball with his shirt off to show how buff he is. Bravo to the guy. He's in great shape. Uh, But here's how stupid this is. You're on a ship and you have a magical fantasy room called the holodeck. And you could just be playing soccer in the middle of the 2750 World Cup or whatever fucking major event you want. And, and you're just instead going to be kicking the soccer ball around some cold ass hallway because the show didn't want to drop the cash on a cool holodeck moment. And, you know, I guess the character flaw here is that Agnes, like, decides to soothe her loneliness and regret over killing Maddox by fucking the nearest available man, which is Rios. You know, they the scene like this is like the second time these characters have ever talked. So I don't care. Right. And this is despite Alison Pillikins still trying her best. She really did. But uh, I sense there is more energy and charisma and uh, connection and chemistry in fucking Tom Paris and Bellana Torres uh, than these two in this scene, because we just don't fucking know anything about them. So we don't care. Like, all right, you, yeah. you bang. You Rios did shows that he's a nice guy and sees that she's emotionally distraught. Compromised. And kind of tries to like pump the brakes on it a little bit. And she's like, no, I want to do this. And he's like, uh, okay, well, you know, I'm already I still want to fuck you, so sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. Why not? Space is lonely and, you know, banging holograms and myself gets old after a while. Uh, <laughs> speaking of the holodeck, we do have a scene in Picard's discount ready room. Uh, back at Chateau Picard, where he is accessing the computer records on the Borg. And 
part of me is just like, well, how much access does this dude ship really have? Like, we're not talking about the Enterprise's computer or, you know, subspace link to Starfleet command. And so he's basically just doing Google searches, like a Google image search. <laughs> like, what's what's the most basic information available out there? And I've complained many times about how much I hate the holographic Iron Man computers are using, but there is a big payoff. And if this is the reason why they're using it is for the scene where they slowly pan around as Picard swiping through the Google image results on uh, Picard. And it ends on a, a screenshot of Locutus when he was addressing the enterprise or maybe, you know, the other ships at Wolf three, five, nine. And they do this really good overlay where you see Picard and then the holograms between him and the camera and it's aligned the right way. So you see old Picard with the, the, the Locutus Borg implants over it. And he has a very emotional reaction to it. And I think it's really fucking cool. It was a neat visual. Yeah. The next scene is another uncomfortable sex thing. But now it's uh, the Lannister twins. Uh, so uh, Cer- Cersei Romulan uh, comes to talk to uh, Jamie uh, uh, Victor Van- Frankenstein uh, where he, she gets uncomfortably sexy with him and he is trying to figure out WTF with uh, Soji Tabuchi. And interestingly, the information that he dis- he kind of gets his way through as he does the dialogue with his, his sex sister is the dreams are the way that her positronic brain is attempting to reconcile her subconscious knowledge. She is not human with her conscious belief that she is human, which is a neat idea, right? Like she's a machine. This conflict has to be resolved in some fashion because there's a cognitive dissonance between her nature and her knowledge of her nature. And it's very correct for that to be expressed in a interpretive fashion. So she doesn't actually figure it out. Right. Like that's that's the sci fi trick for uh, Soji. And I liked that idea. I really do. Um, you know, that that writer gets a gold star next to his name, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but the point is that she's like fiddling with this, like basically uh, R- Romulan puzzle box as a like thinking, you know, he's doing a Rubik's Cube type of thing to figure it out. And while we're handing ultimate- out gold stars i'd like to give uh cersei romulan's pants a gold star that was that was a plus costume there uh for all of her evil sexy vampy incestuous ways like big fan of those pants um i i agree the the dream reconciliation was interesting and when we jump to data who does develop dreams uh in the episode where julian bashir is on the ship yeah, yeah. You know, Data's situation is that he was an android that wanted to be a human, and his dreams were kind of a part of a growing process to further that that exploration. And now you have a fully fleshed out, for all intents and purposes, human that, yeah, like you said, is really an android. And it's interesting that instead of the dreams being a exploratory vehicle the dreams have become a shackling device and really at the end of the, the day you know soji tabuchi and dodge were slaves of maddox right 
They were designed, yeah. they were purpose built to go in and infiltrate Tal Shiar operations, Starfleet operations, and try to find out why did Space 9-11 happen. They're not free beings acting of their own free will. Like they are, they're infiltration units. And for the, the dreams to be a control mechanism to keep them in check is a very interesting juxtaposition to what Data's dreams were. Uh, good shout out on that. Uh, despite this interesting discussion of dreams and despite those pants, I still maintain that these fucking Lannister scenes are just so excruciatingly boring. And I think they're anything that this hamster dude that Victor Lannister is involved in is just such a fucking waste of screen time. And I think that yeah, you can consolidate all this shit down big time. And again, cut the past four episodes down to two or three. It's like they build these guys up to be basically the antagonistic force slash villains. And it's like, but I don't care. Like the thing about villains is that you have to understand their motivation to give a fuck. Right. That's the whole point. Every good villain has a story behind them where you're like, mm, I get why he's the bad guy. I might, he might be a sympathetic bad guy. He might be completely unsympathetic, but at least I know why. Right. And all we know about these two is that they're part of the Tal Tal Shiar Shiar, the Romulan very special forces that hate robots. And that's it. And they have little annoying earrings or whatever the fuck that is that I just can't stop. Any scene with him in, it, it just looks like he has like an iPod earbud permanently stuck in his, his ear. It drives me nuts. And so it's like I... If if they're if they're waiting until the end of the season to like pay off like who the Tao Tao Shiar Shiar are or like why they have this big, you know, hard on for killing robots or whatever, then that was a huge miss. Like I, that is not what should be. You shouldn't be hiding your villain's motivation from your viewer for your entire fucking season because it makes watching the show drudgery because I don't care about these people. And that is like not to say I, you know, if I had any motivation, I, I would necessarily, but without it, I definitely don't, you know, so, I would still find all these Lannister vibes just too fucking much trophy. Also, again, get out there and fucking tell a different story. I don't need a rehash of the Lannisters. You know, we're talking about the episode where Hugh, you know, what was that? Was it called Iborg? Was that the Hugh episode? Uh, yes, that was the first one. Yeah. What a revolutionary, great new story to tell. Like, so much of next gen was so great because it was just fresh, engaging concepts, not taking shit that's floating around the zeitgeist of, you know, and Voyager certainly guilty of rehashing other stories that were popular for the time. But just please, man, tell tell something fresh. Don't grab these goddamn tropes and jam them at me uh, to bad music. Um, the telltale Shiar, they Shiar Shiar, they protect a secret so terrible that if you find out, it would shred your mind, make you go crazy. They still haven't said what it is other than the Telltale Shiar Shiar hate robots. Uh, I've seen some fan theories floating around out there that that the Telltale, that the Romulan people created the Borg. And I think that is going to be what they play here. And I hope it's not. I think the Borg are... Again, the Borg don't need to be explained. I don't want to know the Borg's origin story because you're probably going to do a bad job telling it. Uh, going back and listening to our old episode, Unity, we had a lot of really cool what ifs 
that we bounce back and forth in that one. That's the one where Chakotay doesn't drink the cube aid uh, that the the nice friendly Borg co-op offer him. Uh, but they've got what another four episodes left to Picard to, to roll the secret out there. And they haven't really laid down any groundwork for anything other. I think at this point that, yeah, the, the Romulans were behind it. That's why they're so interested in all of this. That's why there's all this religious angle and destroyer and all that other stuff. And I, I don't want it to be the case. I have heard the same theory. I have a zillion wise to the same things as far as what's in the show that could suggest it to be true. I have a sneaking and awful suspicion that it might be what they end up doing, which I would not want to be true either. Uh, So much that suddenly breaks with the continuity of Star Trek by trying to fit that in. And I, I just, no, please don't do that. You know, just please, please let it be something else. Uh, But uh, you know, it's, Whatever the secret is, evidently, you know, Agnes saw it, which is why she killed Maddox. So who fucking knows, right? I'm sure we'll be told. I'm sure it'll suck. Speaking ah, of right, sucking. No, I'm, not, I'm not doing this. Yeah. Speaking of sucking. Raffi. <laughs> Back yeah, in the she, hot seat for the worst part of uh, Picard, man. She, uh, Picard and crew of the Normandy are speeding off towards the, I don't know, is this technically in the old neutral zone or is this like well yeah. in the... This is what it says, former Roman Romulan neutral zone. They're speeding off. It is a heavily guarded area. I assume that's like some sort of minefield surrounding it. And they say, we need credentials to get on here because we cannot lie our way in. The Borg will recognize me as Locutus. Uh, And there's, you know, a dozen reasons why us infiltrating this thing is not going to fly. We need to have official reasons to being there. And they decide that Rafi is going to contact a uh, contact that she has still embedded in the higher ups of Starfleet and call in some friends cards and try to get some sort of diplomatic credentials for Picard to be on the artifact, a.k.a. the uh, the Borg cube. So she gets real high and real drunk and twists this lady's this. I don't know if she's an admiral or she's or, a captain based on rank uh, pips. I, I want to so give you credit she, for always being able to spot these fucking pips. They blend into the uniform so easy, but you're like fucking Hawkeye over there with the magnifying glass. I fucking that's the details I live for, my friend. You know, I won't I can't tell you uh, my. Uh, dad's exact birthday but i can tell you the right <laughs> bit so i don't need star trek he was born in the fall november 11th maybe anyway this was a captain um so raffi plays the angle of we're going out here and it's gonna be real bad when we show up empty-handed so either you give us the credentials that you just told me no or we are going to cause a huge fucking incident. And because there's now comm logs linking us, when the Romulans search our ship, uh, we are going to look like Federation spies and it's going to be real ugly. So play ball with us or I'm going to make a huge mess and 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 whatever. So she burns this last bridge she has. They get authorization. They get the paperwork and then she falls into like full drunk mess boohoo my family life has fallen apart scene with rios and i thought her manipulating the starfleet captain was good 
And then all of her personal character development after it was just fucking terrible. Like maybe part of it's she's not good at playing drunk or playing emotionally vulnerable, but she's not was... good at anything. Like that's what we've deserved determined, right? Like that's like, there's no part of her performance that has been good so far at all. I mean, she's just not a good actor and they really missed on casting her. She can't do any of the things character. she's being asked to do. I think it's not a good actor and I think it's, yeah, it's, it's not a good character and it takes Picard fucking acting like a French buffoon Hanna-Barbera pirate to, to <laughs> drag the episode down so low that it displaces her as the worst part of the 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 episode uh, assignment. So they get their clearance to go on. Picard beams over to the, the Borg ship with uh, clearance. They don't dock. They have to go to pre-assigned transporter coordinate and it gets him over we see that the borg are not big on osha compliance you no, have a no lot they of... got those got those big long hallways with no railings just <laughs> just a infinite drop on either side so we will later find out that this ship has technology that was not present and I'm interested in the art that we see on this Borg Cube. I before said it was like if the Borg Cube had an Apple store and that's like the lighting and technology aesthetic that we see in this. And is it that, you know, we know what a Borg Cube used to look like, right? TNG spent enough time on them. I think the versions we see in Voyager are like really crappy low played mock-ups because they didn't have the budget for it but right, there's like right, right. and Giera, there's first contactor and then there's this one and it's a very clean sleek smooth floors I, I like the borg alcoves have like these white light halos over the heads where the the borgs dock and instead of like the green i, I did i like i like that aesthetic i did so it's like this real tron aesthetic versus like the spencer's gifts aesthetic and i'm curious like if it's just a a 2020 different design language or you know are we correct in assuming that this is a newer version of the traditional board cube you know this is their sovereign class and you have a different design language and it's just the the tron look is in and it's it's cool or is this part of the reclamation project that you know these board that we do see in the alcoves that this is all a reworked area that had romulan influence and it looks different than traditional Borg design language because there's a a non-Borg design element at play. I think that this is one of those circumstances where I can extend my my uh, disbelief, in a sense, that the Borg aesthetic probably always looked like this. Hmm. You know, like I I think this makes more sense for what a cube would look like. Right. Even compared against the design, the the special effects and set design budget of like um, first contact where they certainly but could you do never, you, you, you didn't really see the inside of a cube there, though. You only ever saw the inside of Enterprise while it was had Borg on it, uh, which, you know, is going to have a different look because of that. Um, you know, th- this is the first look inside a cube at a. You know, not a mid 90s TV level. Mm. And it wasn't so different that it 
was strange to me. You know, it it this like yeah, ma- making it look look like clean seems like the kind of perfection that Borg would be all about, right? Do you think everything? This, this is a very interesting conversation to me because the Borg don't live in reality, and and I've been thinking about this a lot, especially with having gone back and rewatched Unity, uh, the the Voyager episode with Chakotay and the Cubade, like. The Borg don't live in reality. They live in whatever their shared consciousness. And like, it would make sense that they don't care if they look like literal trash people covered in tubes and wires and, and, and garbage. And their ships look like garbage because in their VR overlay or whatever, you know, could be a sunny field or a sleek, nice spaceship or whatever. So I like, I like both versions. I like that the Borg look like garbage because they don't care. I like the version where they live in a clean clinical Tron environment uh, where you've got these beautiful lines and and tasteful neon accents. I think the reason why I buy it is that it still is extremely utilitarian. Like there's no ornamentation. It's just that it's clean. And I think that makes more sense just from a like they would be so efficient that they wouldn't have that mess, you know, yeah. like I, I get that, but whatever, it's cool. Picard's on the ship. He's overcome with, you know, visions of being in the Borg. He's losing his mind. And then two people grab him. He freaks out. And then you hear Hugh's voice of like, no, they just want to make sure you don't fall. Cause Off our dangerous we're not, ass ledge. <laughs> we're not OSHA compliant. I don't know if you noticed. And it's, it's, he was there to uh, meet with Picard. He's, overjoyed to see him seems like this is probably the first time they've met since the end of descent and they you know picard hugs him and gets essentially the 10 cent tour of the cube and what the borg reclamation project is about which is where we discover uh it's primarily just converting whoever these people are uh, from whatever races they are a part of back into being you know who they used to be. I don't say human because some of them are clearly not human. Um, although uh, sleeves open. What is Hugh? Is Hugh human? I, I, if he is like, that's weird, right? Like, because he would have been a Borg for a role much longer than humans had contact with the Borg. This is he, the, he says he's a Federation citizen. So it's like, that leaves it kind of open to what that means. Like, well, the question hmm. is, it it's so sloppy. There's been such limited, but okay. So when we first get introduced to when they start spooling up the Borg plot line, right? We, Shelby gets involved in that other stuff. Like there are right. numerous reports of Federation border worlds colonies being completely scooped up, right. and the the Enterprise shows up to investigate, and you just have a huge fucking hole in the ground where a city used to be. So. That you don't have to be Starfleet vessel encountering uh, the Borg cube at Wolf 359. And again, that Borg cube was destroyed. There's no way that any of the people from Unity should have, what was her name? Uh, Commander Riley, Lieutenant Riley, Dr. Riley from Unity. Like, if yeah. you were Federation Starfleet assimilated at Wolf 359, you should have died on the cube. And anytime they trot out someone saying, I was at Wolf 359, it's kind of impossible. Um, you know, the big 
the hard point with the Borg is like the Borg were a big fucking deal before they even came anywhere near the Alpha Quadrant. Nobody we've laughed at length, like all of the people in the Delta Quadrant are like humans with salami in their hair. Some degree of shithead going on. Yep, 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 yep. The space chicken people from uh, Balana's bad day at work where she jettisons the warp core. <laughs> right. Like, remember the, the, the like the chicken men? Mm-hmm. Like their entire species was assimilated in like you've never seen a chicken Borg before. Uh, basically, if you get the Borgs way, you get assimilated unless you're Kazon discount Kmart Klingon. <laughs> and you get ignored. You know, but all we, can't we ever hang seen... out on Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> get your patchouli out of here. It's not us. It's you. Um, you never see anything than human Borg. And that's that's a big shame. So the question isn't is Hugh human? It's was he a native of the Delta Quadrant? How long could he have been with it? I I guess the thing that would make the most sense is that he was part of one of those border worlds. And that would explain why he was in the Alpha Quadrant and the Enterprise was able to come across him. Sure. And I can buy that. I just wish they would have taken this moment to explain. <laughs> like, you know, this is his big character time to like have like, yeah, I'm a, you know, and I got assimilated, you know, and, and that's the fun of the Borg, though, too. Like you could you assimilate an entire planet worth of chicken men? And in the end, it's like barely enough to staff one cube. The cubes are so big and they've got people just fucking packed in their rows and rows like. One, you know, we've said before, like one cube should be able to assimilate an entire solar system, if not, you know, big chunk of the Alpha Quadrant. Like, yeah, my entire world was on that one cube that the fucking species 84721 shot at like the catastrophe. That's why it's every time the Borg invade Earth, they send one cube. Mm -hmm. So that's it. They're like, fuck it. All it needs. Good enough. It's all it needs. Uh, I want to give uh, a special shout out. The XB, as they're called, the X Borg, because this is a big part of Picard's tour through this cube, is the screen time and the close-up looks that you get at all of these people once they have the Borg parts pulled off. And it is fucking gruesome. There's thick, scabby scars over everything. Everybody's like one-armed, one-eyed, like hamburger face. And the Not makeup. everyone is looking as good as Seven of Nine post assimilation. Seven of Nine, Hugh, even Hugh, like you know, it looks like he's got this big chunk of his face that's like a plastic clip-on part that's very unsettling. Yeah, Borg, I'm um, sorry, uh, Picard and Seven of Nine certainly came out on the better end of the spectrum of uh, I don't look like a fucking monster, looking like some goony shit. Uh, but it looks good. It looks great, and I really enjoy the the effort that we see in the special effects makeup on these guys. And yeah, this is this, the, the reclamation project, as far as Hugh's concerned is taking people out of their Borg state and trying to reduce them. But there's a sinister element here in that even as they liberate these people and, and try to rehabilitate them back into sentience, individualism, um, they're still under the thumb of the Romulan government. You know, we haven't gotten any in- information about the state of the galaxy, like the Klingons, Federation, Romulans, aside from just it's lawless or whatever, uh, which is a shame. But uh, 
we we get the tour. We see the ex Borg. We get Hughes and Passion speech. We get Picard's weird. Oh, they have all been victims all along. Thing stuff. We've already mentioned all of this. And the other big piece of this, of course, is that he is after Soji Tabushi. And at the same time, uh, coincidentally, Victor, Victor Frankenstein Lannister is attempting to get Soji to explore her dreams so that they can get the information as to what planet she was made on, which is the information they're really after. So they can make sure to get all of the robots. And so they do this stupid Romulan meditation thing with their shoes off, I guess. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, I she like exp- they, they, they re-explore her dream, which is the cool part. Um, I just think it's weird. The Romulans have all the spiritual shit we've never heard of all of a sudden now. Yeah, but we've never really gotten an inside look. We've They're, only they've seen got ninja nuns that only speak the truth. Uh, they've, you know, of they've, all the they... shit that this series has jammed down our throats, a secret, you know, a, a hush hush meditation chamber and meditation technique that is taboo to discuss with uh, what, what they refer to as round ears, which is some excellent <laughs> That's the racism. best racist term I've heard out of Star Trek <laughs> since uh, Klingons calling. Yeah, Vulky. Vulkies. So Getting Vulky with it. A plus on that. That fresh racism we just got dropped on us. So this uh, and it's a very Asian inspired, you know, meditation mm-hmm. room with a with a path on the floor walking between lanterns. I really like the uh, sub commander guarding the door like, yeah, get that fucking round here out of here. And the Victor Romulan Stein's like, you better fuck off before you end up in a airlock motherfucker i'm tell tell shiar shiar i don't play um so he puts her through like this guided meditation psychoanalyzing mesmerism basically it's not terrible it's what their second scene should have been together it again this this plot's gone on way too fucking long he should have been doing this shit forever ago picard being there at the exact moment on the board cube looking for Soji, the exact 10 minutes that Victor Lannister is pulling this shit with her is infuriating. Like, coincidences and all that other stuff, yeah, dramatic, blah, blah, blah. Like, had Picard done anything different along his entire fucking adventure to offset him by 10 minutes, he would have fucking had her. Like, this is so infuriatingly insulting. Like, all the bullshit with Legolas screwing around with the fucking absurd uh, pimp regime back on uh, Cloud City, whatever the fuck it was called. Him having his side conversations and getting jerked around with Seven of Nine. All of his mentorship moments, like they could have done anything different and he would have gotten there 10 minutes earlier before Victor Lannister really got his claws in her. Like, whatever. This is such Hollywood schlock at that point. Like, fucking spare me, please. She try. He tries to kill her after he she, he gets the information. She turns in, into murder robot mode. Oh, hold on a second. I can't let this thing go. Even Hugh taking him on the fucking tour of the vessel. Like, wow, Hugh, this looks really interesting. I want to learn more about this. I need to get to Data's daughter before the Tal-Tal Shiar kill her. I'm on a mission of life and death. I We lied to get here. Like, let me get access to this lady. And then, yeah, show me all this really interesting stuff that it's, this is hard touching. But first, 
Give me the girl here before Tal tells she our assassins kill her. Yeah. Where's this urgency that led you halfway across the galaxy in the first place, bud? Like you said, like we we've lied to everyone and everything to get here. But I'm going to take the 10 cent tour before I find the person I'm here to find. Seems fine. Right. Uh, th- but, you know, she they're too late. She turns into a murder robot. But then well, they find her as a murder she, robot. She turns into a murder robot because Victor Lannister is like, I love you, but I have to kill you. And now that I know what you know, I'm going to lock you in this uh, meditation chamber. And look at that. My Rubik's Cube is full of. um. I don't know, La Magra, the red blood god from Blade One, and it's going to chase you around the room and maybe kill you. And then we're going to find out uh, how shoddy this Romulan craftsmanship is with these cheap Romulan floors that you just punch a hole through. (laughs) (laughs) To wood. It's not good craftsmanship, apparently. Cheap balsa plywood. You know, the the lack of railings aren't the only places that they've cut corners in the construction of this cube. Apparently, they went to Romulan, uh, uh, the the Ikea <laughs> or something <laughs> fucking resembled this place. It's it, not, did, it looked like an Ikea bedroom. Yeah. Like, you know, not very flat furniture. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I've got those floor lanterns as uh, my reading light <laughs> by the next to my bed. Oh, and again, anytime I see an android doing android stuff, it is pretty fucking cool so when she wigs out and starts like super speed punching holes in the floor and doing some superhero shit before she jumps down the hole like it's cool once she jumps out of that she goes back on the scanners for uh hugh's ability to track her in the cube these russian i'm sorry these romulan meditation chambers uh were off the grid so it's interesting like what authority hugh has as director of the um Reclamation Project Project. versus Romulan Centurion Military Authority. Uh, They jump through the floor and they start running through the cube trying to find her. All the green holographic overlays that are popping out that Hugh's using are pretty cool. And yes, I'll say that the holograph displays make sense in the Borg cube. Specifically there, like if they had made that the aesthetic choice just for that, I think it would have been cool. Uh, The Hugh ends up leading them to a place he calls the Queen Cell. So he has to like do some Kung Fu magic in a like a wall to like find this hidden spot. And uh, he says, you know, it's one of those Borg instinctual things of like he knew how to get there, even though he had never been there because of the the hive mind. And really cool. And Picard agrees to the same thing. Like, I knew this was here, even though I didn't. And and in the in perhaps all of Star Trek Picard's entire runtime to this date, every moment of the show has been leading to this, what I would almost call a redemptive moment for you and I personally, is that the reason he has brought them to this place is that it has a device that was not available when Locutus was around, uh, but was a was a new addition by the time this this cube had been created. And that is a spatial projector that was taken from the very best race of Star Trek Voyager. And that is what we called the Skevians. I believe they're called Sakarans. But the Skevians apparently got assimilated 
uh, at some point, <laughs> and they took the stuff that Tuvok was attempting to commit mutiny to uh, with Seska to acquire, and they even got the distance right, 40,000 light years, which is exactly from that episode. Uh, a giant gold star with a check mark and a smiley face next to it for this writer. That's some good continuity. So fucking good, dude. I squealed in delight when they name checked the Sicarians. Uh, what was the episode? I'm, I, I can't. I like can't. episode. It was first season. Episode seven or eight. Person, maybe was something. Uh, God damn it. Hold on. I'll look it up. Uh, Prime Factors. Prime Factors. Ten. One of my all time favorite Voyager episodes to date. I loved the fucking Skevians conceptually. They were supposed to be one of the major antagonistic forces. It was supposed to be um, the uh, the Vidians. It was supposed to be the Kmart Klingon. Um, Kazon. Kazon and the Skevians. Uh, they were such a great idea. I wish they would have fleshed them out. So them getting name checked here and this technology, which is a big fucking deal, right? Yeah. Huge. Uh, I don't think... I also like that they don't really like tell you exactly what happened. They said there was an assimilation of Skevians, not like the entire homeworld was conquered. Maybe just one ship got pinched with it. It was enough for them to get access to the technology, but so fucking cool. Uh, the mind reels with the possibilities. And and I went on record back in that. I think it was even unity. I, uh, our unity episode, I, I brought up, I think the Skevians would have been down for getting assimilated on a certain degree, getting access to the shared, collective of all the stories and all the experiences of everybody ever to be assimilated like so much cool stuff there thank you whoever wrote this for not fleshing this out completely and letting me play the what if games till my heart's content i got a question about the board queen you've obviously watched first contact much more recently than i have how many queens are there is it one queen per cube is it one queen for the whole collective i feel like the Borg Queen is a entity that can manifest itself anywhere. Uh, I felt it was a little thin that that the queen would have to have some way to retreat because I feel like the tween the queen can be anywhere where there's, you know, the technological life uh, connection, you know, uh, infrastructure to manifest her because she is the she is the manifestation of the collective consciousness of the borg so there's right? only like, one queen correct but she's disembodied like, and she can like project to one location so maybe had she been active and i mean this seems like a good redundancy so if the queen is on my cube at this time and then species 8472 or somebody else shows up and they hit us in some sort of dead zone bubble that cuts us off from communication with the rest of the Borg. She's now isolated and yeah, putting a teleporter in there so she could like emergency peace out. Makes sense, I suppose. And you put that on. I guess I, I, I guess you could say like it because of. You know, when when the queen is killed, the consciousness of the collective has to like re manifest or re convalesce. And that is damaging and takes time and, you know, creates disharmony and dis in, in disunity. And so it makes sense that they, you know, attempt to save the queen using this technology to avoid those circumstances. Something uh, like that. So I can buy it. 
Hugh gets him in this room. Uh, he name drops the Skeevians. Uh, I'm squealing like a, a little school girl. But I'm kind of like, man, uh, Hugh owes Picard a lot in one respect. On another, you know, there's a whole path that they've gone down of of weirdness. And again, he's risking everything. Like, what's more important, helping an old friend or jeopardizing the entire operation you've dedicated your life to saving people from that have been trapped in this assimilated state? Like, he lays so much on the line when he says, who is this girl? Why is she so important? Because just like, uh, it's, it's too long of a story. Like, had he been like Data's daughter? And obviously, you know, Data and you got like. Again, tapping into the reason why Picard, Worf, LaForge, or I'm sorry, Riker, LaForge, Worf, anybody should have been willing to throw down and risk their life to help Soji because it's Data's daughter. Like, I think Hugh would have been in the same boat. And I think that the terrible consequences that are going to come as a result of Hugh helping Picard, uh, you know, there's no way the fucking Borg Reclamation Project's going to go on after this. Like, you now right. have, especially by the end of this, because, uh, Legolas pops out, you know, some centurions show up and they're like, hey, you know, hands up. And he's just like, I'm going to cut everybody's fucking head off again. Look at me. I'm sweet. And the card's like, oh, hey, thanks for being here. After all, the the second infuriating part of timing in this, like the Skeevian transporter is up and it's powered up. And he's like, all right, you guys can go anywhere. Um, and now we're going to have uh, a 40 second conversation about why we need to stay back because it's going to take 10 seconds to transport you. Like everybody could have fucking left the room. Legolas. I, I, I get like the, the Legolas staying behind made no sense. It, it seemed that it only made sense that Hugh had to stay behind. Like I have to turn this fucking thing off after you guys leave. If I'm gone, I can't turn it off. So they'll follow you. And we you. can't let this fall into the hands of the Romulans because it'd be really bad. Yeah, this is terrible. We, I think we can all agree Romulans should probably shouldn't have this fucking thing. So... <laughs> Let's, uh, I'll just, uh, I'll just take care of business. I owe you guys. I get that he owes Picard enough to, I think, endanger the whole thing. Like, he's like, I, really? this is only possible because you decided I should be a person, remember? And because of that, other Borg became people. I only exist because you decided not to turn me into a weapon. I owe you a huge favor. So, yes. So, I'm going to sacrifice is is me my it back. I'm going to sacrifice my life and the life of everybody. Like after this shit, I have to think the Telshi are like, yeah, we can't trust these fucking guys drag everybody who has been pulled out of assimilation, put them all in a ditch and, uh, you know, nuke it from orbit. Like this is, this is so crazy. And I, I will be interested to see in the next episode, like what the political fallout from this is. How can this not look like a Federation attack? I'm sure the Tal Shiar is going to spin this in like some crazy ass ways. Like this is Picard really made a fucking mess here. And again, to think that it could have all been avoided had he not picked up Legolas, had he not gone down memory lane with Hugh, had he, you know, any one of a hundred things we could have cut down on his trail here instead of overlapping directly with Victor Lannister's um, memory exploration exercise, whatever. Uh, but it is a dope scene. Uh, and at the end of it, we have Legolas sticking behind. You know, Picard's family member that he's willing to endanger the life of where he wasn't anybody else. Uh, and Soji and Picard peace out through the Skeevian Stargate. And we find out. Did you watch the uh, previews for the upcoming episode? Yeah, it's the episode. This is the planet where uh, Riker and Troy are. Planet Frakes. 
Planet Freaks. So, uh, as we mentioned at the beginning, probably the best episode that's come out since the premiere. I would still consider it C- minus at best. Uh, not objectionable in the same way. I think like the limitation of not having a lot of Raffi helped it be like not as bad as it could be. But it, it had enough kernels of moments of Star Trek that if this were like the second or third episode, I might not have given up on it. But it's way too late as far as I'm concerned. I, uh, I, I am steadfast in my desire to not review this anymore. And, um, you know, leave it on a relatively high note, I guess, in the sense that we got a Skeevian shout out. So it's like perfect for us to stop right now. I also want to lament the fact that Seven of Nine was not here for any of this. Because they, they used her as a fucking one off. Like, the, what a what a fraud that turned out to be. They like second builder for the whole goddamn series. And she's in one fucking episode that has nothing to do with Borg. Like, yeah, putting her in this stupid Rambo plot line that they used her for instead of like I would have loved to see her interaction with Hugh like what diametrically opposed paths they have walked with their second lease on life right and and for her to end up as such a disappointment like all the work that Janeway's putting in like you need to be a person and not just like an impulsive robot and for her to fall into such a deep rut like I'm very anxious by the end of all of this is to reject it all and not view any of this as canon yeah. And scrub it, it from my memory, but for seven, seven of nine should never have been a vigilante, should never have been a warrior, and should never have been without the support of everyone from Voyager who would clearly see her as family. Like the her being out there as space Batman is like the least likely thing. Not space. You, you called her Batman, and listening to our episode, like not Batman at all. Like Batman's a thinker. Batman's a scientist. Like she's just fucking space Punisher. Yeah, space Punisher. That is better. She's yeah. Space Punisher. And then you've got Hugh, who is like this enlightened scientist who is trying to help other people that he understands the suffering of like those two in the same room. And maybe they'll do it later on. Who knows? But like, that's what I wanted to see. come. If you're going to tell a fucking Borg story, get all the former Borg in the same room and, and let them talk. Don't. And it said, no, what does she do? She just fucking vaporizes young Marina Sirtis, Goja the Gozerian. And and has her Terminatrix moment. And it's like, what a fucking waste. What a fucking waste. Squandered potential. Well, You're not alone, you Voyager. Know, There's other squandered potentials in town. Well, I know what we're not going to waste. And that's our time reviewing any more episodes of Picard. Um, so next week, you'll actually be hearing the at long last. Uh, our, apology. Listeners. our apology uh, for yes, that our- two star review. <laughs> <laughs> our apology to you, and that is our very best episode we ever did, and that is the Patreon-only episode about the Star Trek porn parody. Uh, Peter and I need a week to collect our thoughts, figure out when we can get the uh, guys from Hail and Well Met involved, all of that great stuff. So we're going to post that as our normal episode next week. That's why I held it back. Sorry for the tease. Uh, and uh, But you'll love it. Yeah, the feature tease. Uh, you want to hear some infectious enthusiasm about incredibly good Star Trek along with strangely well-produced pornography, uh, you're in for a treat. Uh, So look forward to that next week. And then after that, uh, we will be back right on our hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant, starting with Demon. See you then.